Welcome to St. James Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. You can learn more about St. James on our website at stjamesp.org. I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Nice to see you all. I want to begin by asking you to use the word justified in a sentence. I'll start. Officer, I'm justified in breaking the speed limit because I'm late for the church potluck and they can't begin without potato salad. (laughs) I'm justified in getting a little creative with my taxes because the government wastes my money. I'm justified in passing the guy on the corner asking for money because he's just going to use it for drugs. I'm justified in complaining about the church because I'm a big pledger. I'm justified in not, this doesn't apply to you all, I'm justified in not going to church because it's just full of hypocrites. The word justified, which appears in our reading today, is one of those words that I think our church may need to redeem or even salvage. Others Other words like it include evangelism, which has lost the meaning of sharing good news and now for many means compelling people to agree with us. Surveys indicate that in some quarters the word Christian has lost its most beautiful meaning as a Jesus follower and now suggests someone who is judgmental, hypocritical, or attached to a particular political agenda. And then we come back to this word justified, one of the most, it's one of the most important words in the New Testament, a word that may have lost power in our time, but one that did not lose power for St. Paul or Martin Luther or Christians across the centuries who've come to believe that the gospel is good news, uh, that the gospel is, is about new life and not a death sense. Gospel is not about a recipe for division. And thanks be to God, we have today's gospel, that beautiful short story, more to the point, uh, uh, that represent two ways of being in the world, and more to the point, two ways of thinking about what it means to be justified. Warning to churchgoers. It's another one of those parables that comes down kind of hard on religious folks. So on the one hand, we have this guy who comes and stands by himself, maybe in a pulpit, Maybe there, maybe in the first row. If he was, he wasn't Episcopalian. But um, <laughs> comes and he's he's in this prominent place, and he begins to rattle off to God all the reasons that God is so lucky to have him on the team, why he's so much better than everybody else. Now, my grandmother, bless her heart, used to say that comparisons are odious. But the whole mode for this guy was comparison, that he was better. And the way he looked at his world, he is justified simply because he's comparing himself to other people. He's justified based on what he has done, how he's acted, what he's accomplished, based on how swell he is. 
So compare and contrast that with the guy standing far off, maybe on the other side of, of 3rd Avenue, 3rd Street. Um, spoiler alert. We're told he is the one who goes away justified. Not because he's better or worse than anybody else, but because he has recognized that if he is to be justified at all, it will not be because of what he has done, but because of what God will do. With that insight, he comes into right relationship with God, which is one of the ways to think about what it means to be justified, one of the ways to salvage that word. It's not about being right. It's not about being better than somebody else. In the biblical sense of the word, being justified is about being graciously, freely brought into relationship with God when so many of us live our lives in one way or another with that relationship not quite right. St. Paul is this classic example of someone who discovered this truth and had his life turned around. He was this classic overachiever. He was apparently judgmental enough towards other people that he would go around and throw them in prison until he got knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus and was made to realize that all the things he thought made him so special, all the things that justified his existence, a good family, a good education, high moral sense, even his religious observance. All those things were refuse. Called him garbage. He came to see that he was justified by trust, by faith in God, whose grace reached him into unlikely and unlikable him. He was justified by amazing grace. Paul speaks of righteousness in today's reading. That may be another word we need to do some uh, redemption on. It's easy to equate being righteous with being self-righteous, that rather unattractive need to be right, uh, to be a Puritan. I always like what H.L. Mencken said about Puritans. He said they are people who are unhappy because they suspect that somebody somewhere is having a good time. <laughs> like the word justified, the word righteous in the New Testament is at heart about relationship. The righteousness, Paul claims, the righteousness of God brings us into right relationship with God and with each other. So I'm reading this book right now by a theologian out in Minnesota uh, named Andrew Root. The book is about the current crisis of decline in the church, which we all bemoan and we wonder and worry about and we try to fix. He says that the answer to the decline is not about finding some great fix-it program. It's not about snappier music or more relevant sermons or really good coffee, although I'll take the good coffee. He says that decline is happening because we have come to imagine that the church is the star of the story. And he says that the church these days may have forgotten this point. God is the star of the story. Or as he repeats, God is God. Implication, we're not. He tells a story of a dying church that was transformed when a young scruffy man walked into a Bible study and asked the group, can you help me find God? Can you help me find God? The people in that study had no idea whether they could. They wondered why they weren't sure that they could help this young man. They had come to church for all kinds of reasons, but truth be told, they hadn't really thought that finding God 
was top of the list. They weren't sure how to make that discovery for themselves or for this young man. I found myself wondering what I would say if someone walked in here and said, can you help me find God? What would you say? As this church in this book grappled with that question, the church changed, and it came back to life. In today's parable, that's what the sinner did. It's what the guy sitting up front missed. That Pharisee standing there by himself tried to justify himself, which really is God's work. That Pharisee committed the fatal error of playing God, which from the beginning of time all the way back to the Garden of Eden is the thing that seems to break relationship with God, that misses out on justification, that keeps us from that right relationship characterized by the righteousness of God, which leads to this question, right? I was thinking about it as I read this passage. If God is the one who justifies, then how come only one of these guys goes away justified? Sounds to me like the guy in the back row did something to set him apart from the spiritual superstar in the front pew. God indeed is the one who justifies, yet at the same time, apparently, apparently we have a part in it. We're not just observers. That sinner way in the back of the row, back row, did a couple simple things that opened the doorway for grace to break into his life. Three specific things. First, he was willing to confess that he needed help, (laughs) that he needed mercy, something our friend in the front row didn't seem to realize. Second, for some reason, he had a sense of where to go for that help. Maybe he knew that his prayer was his last resort. Abraham Lincoln said that he was often driven to his knees in prayer because he had nowhere else to go. And thirdly, this guy had some measure of faith, even it was just a mustard seed that new life was available, possible, a life lived in light of grace, a life lived in the loving, liberating, life-giving power of Jesus. So what's the lesson for us? Maybe we can ask who we identify with in the story. I'm guessing there's a bit of both characters in each one of us. Some days we're hot on the trail of proving how holy, righteous, justified we are. Clergy have to watch out for that, bless our hearts. On other days, amazing grace can dawn on us as we realize our absolute need for God, as we ask for that help from a higher power, as we find mercy, as we find that our wandering hearts are bound to God like a fetter. That is amazing grace. But it seems we have a choice. We can seek to justify ourselves, and that is easy to do, sometimes so delicious, as we say something like, I thank God I'm not like those progressives. I thank God I'm not like those conservatives. I thank God I'm not like those legalists. I thank God I'm not like those libertines. I thank God I'm not like those people who watch MSNBC. I thank God I'm not like those people who watch Fox. I'm not like those fundamentalists. I'm not like those Roman Catholics. I'm not like those atheists. I'm not like those Episcopalians. We can easily do that. The opportunities abound. But it might not really get us anywhere. Back to Grandma. Comparisons are not only odious. They become a full-time job. 
work that's never finished. And if we decide to choose the route of justifying ourselves by judging others, that will become a full-time occupation. If we choose that route, it can take over our hearts and soul and mind, and it can sap our spirit. On the other hand, we can open our heart to the God who justifies recognizing our need, believing there is help to be had, stepping into new life, whereas justified by grace, a fetter binding our hearts to God, as the hymn said, we can find freedom, we can find joy, we can find love, we can find acceptance, we can find forgiveness, we can find resurrection, we can find justification, we can find Jesus. Amen.